Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, and today I am joined by Bo hey. and special guest Tim Davies. So if you want to introduce yourself, how, yeah, that was a word salad. If you want to introduce yourself to everyone who doesn't know you, I think that's probably best. Yeah, no worries. I'll do that for you, shall I? That's going to help. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, I was in the Air Force, uh, 20 years uh, uh, fast jet flying instructor. I run a flight school now in the virtual world, and uh, I have a YouTube site called Fast Jet Performance, where I talk about politics and uh, aviation and all sorts, yeah. Perfect. So um, today we will be talking about three things, as usual, which will be the Tucker-Putin interview, the death of the Royal Air Force, and the least foreign UK election possible, which is Rochdale, which I think will just be good fun at the end of it. But I have one announcement to make real quick, which is that after this, you go and get your biscuits, you go get your tea, and 30 minutes after we end, at 3 p.m. UK time, we will be doing Lads Hour, and this time it will be Top 10 Generals. So we'll be looking at generals and, and taking the piss and having a laugh, which is the concept. <laughs> So there we are. But otherwise, let's, let's get into the news, I, I guess, because I'm uh, going to have a lot to say, I imagine. So, Tucker Putin. Didn't expect it, but it happened. And they've sat down and had an interview. And I wanted to cover this earlier when everyone was freaking out about it. But I just decided that was the wrong thing to do because it wasn't out. Like, why is everyone getting mad or hyped? It's like, it's not, you haven't seen it. Yeah. So there's that. So now I have seen it, been published. You'd like to go and see it. I mean, you can go and um, find it wherever. I think it's uh, here. There we are. It's on, it's on Tucker's uh, Twitter page. So you can go and enjoy that. But otherwise, I have an announcement to make first before we get into that interview and what happens and the responses, which is first and foremost, uh, tell, uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know what's wrong with my voice today. Been down the pub. That's probably why. Anyway, <laughs> Calvin Robertson has joined us and he's here to tell everyone that uh, he's got a show with us now. He's left GB News and is now joining us. And it's Common Sense Crusade. So if you would like to join, you have to subscribe to Lotus Eaters. And if you would like to join and send in comments, you subscribe to Gold Tier and give 50, uh, you give, I think it's 40 pounds a month, but you get 50% off for the first three months if you use code Crusade. Oh, it's 30 pounds a month. There we are. It's cheaper than I even thought. So go and do that if you'd like to send in comments. Otherwise, five pounds a month, you get access to the thing and everything else that's on the website. So there we are. My shilling is done. To the interview. So it's two hours. Quite long. I don't think most people are going to watch the two hours. I'll be frank. But you can see the number of views it's got already just on Twitter, never mind on his website. 77.3 million. Tucker seems to be he's the king of news these days, right? In, this, in, our yeah. world, in 2024, he's the king of news, is he not? I mean, he's the guy that sets the agenda at this point if you've got viewership like that, mm. which yeah. is hard to tell because it's Twitter. So they're counting people who just scroll past, of course. But either way, Still. it is a huge event. Not to mention, it obviously blew up in the media of people talking about it. Don't mainstream places, you know, like um, you know, Fox or CBS or whatever, or MSNBC, don't they struggle to get a few million, don't they? Yeah, I think CNN now struggles with getting 300,000. Yeah, they are saying that. I mean, he left Fox. Isn't that he? He, was, he was chucked out of Fox, wasn't he? And I think uh, he's trying to drive the narrative now. I think he's got an agenda, isn't he, to be more popular than, than Fox, as it were. Yeah, well, yeah. He's probably well, the most he popular. is. He well, he is was, clearly. On Fox, he was the most popular guy, wasn't he, on Fox? And now on his own orders of magnitude more popular. So, I mean, great news for him, personally. Yeah. But he's done funny interviews all the time. You know, he interviewed, what was it? Um, that rapper, I forget. Kanye West. And there were some rumors about whether or not he cut some stuff because it was before Kanye went public with his yeah. views on the tribe. Okay. <laughs> there's some rumors Probably. that... Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some rumors that Tucker was interviewing him and being like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we're editing this. Yeah, yeah definitely. Tucker's had a few quite small, obscure people on. Like, didn't he have Roreg Nationalist yeah. on once? 
Yeah, he's willing to talk to anyone. Yeah, people go up there. He's That's got a great. cabin, isn't he, up there? So he doesn't got any uh, TV or social media himself, apparently. He just books and stuff, yeah. So the, the story for people who don't know is that he agreed to meet up with Putin and do an interview a few years ago when the war broke out. And according to Tucker, the Biden administration interfered, as in they released information about all this to try and stop the interview from happening. And it meant that they couldn't agree on the details, the two teams, so it didn't happen. Mm. And then now they organized another interview same thing happened. It was leaked that this was going to happen. And they just went, screw it. I'm sick of the interference. And then they went to interview him in Moscow. That's their version of events. So that's that. And I'm going to try and keep my views to myself as much as possible as I lay out what happened. Because, of course, we don't have two hours to watch the full yeah. thing. Yeah. So the Cliff Notes version. Most of it, and I mean like the first 30 to 40 minutes, is a history lesson from Putin. And Tucker Carlson wants to conduct a usual American political interview where he asks him, for example, the first question, why did you decide to invade Ukraine? And Putin responds with 40 minutes of history. That's right. <laughs> and um, his conclusions are that Ukraine is fake. It's yes. not real. It's a yeah, the border people. Wasn't it the border people? That's what they are, basically. And he starts off in 860-something or whatever, and then goes decade by decade <laughs> for 40 bloody minutes telling you about the, what was there, what happened, the different people that conquered it, when Ukraine as a, as a state began, where the Ukrainian people as a thing began in his view, and mostly he blames it on the Bolsheviks, the Austrian interference, and then the collapse of the Soviet Union. And his personal view is that Ukrainians and Russians are basically the same bloody people, and it's all interference by foreign powers and sure. Bolsheviks that made that happen. So it's very long. And to be honest, um, I've watched a lot of Putin's interviews before, speaking to some Russian friends of mine, because I wanted to get their view on this. You've been to Russia, haven't you? Many times. And most people who are used to him found this incredibly boring, the whole yeah. interview. Because he is just laying out his own worldview, which he has many times. Yep. And for a Russian audience or people who have watched what he said before, nothing new. But for Tucker Carlson's audience, mainly Americans, I imagine they don't spend a lot of time seeing Vladimir Putin. So maybe it's of interest. Or hearing about the ninth century. Yeah. They wouldn't have a Hearing about the Kievan Rus. It's probably completely new to... No concept of it. Yeah. So to the English-speaking audience, this instantly became a meme. And I, I think this is probably the biggest thing to come out of it, frankly. So I mean, Nick Dixon making a joke here. Tucker, so why did you invade Ukraine? Putin, back in the Middle Ages, Prince Ivaslov the Wise introduced the order of succession to the throne. Mm. I'm not kidding. That's how he starts the conversation. It's just like, okay. And then this just became several memes. <laughs> it's Tucker Carlson, uh, I have to explain Ukraine. So he just pulls out Hoi 4 or EU4 there. And there's some other jokes out of this. I want to discuss fan fiction. You mean Frodo and Sam? No, no, no. We talk about Atlantis is where we shall begin. And this just goes on and on. Right. Why did you invade Ukraine? Well, four billion years ago, the Earth was cooling. <laughs> fair, fair. Because of course, for most people, this is quite strange because this is what you'd usually get if you asked a Western politician, Rishi Sunak here. So you could tell us a little bit about the history of your country. Yes. Well, in 1980. Sorry, 1948. That's the start. Empire Windrush left Kingston <laughs> Harbour. The start of it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It is that, yeah. I'd actually be surprised if Rishi Sunak even could tell us a history from that. Yeah, well, yes. But this being the most focus of, of people in the West, of obviously, God damn, he seems to know his stuff. Now, it might be wrong. You could argue his view on history, the various events. What would be the point of us sitting and doing that for, for 20 minutes? It's a proper hour-long thing you'd have to do. And so what's the big takeaway? Well, it's a huge difference in character. And Tucker found massive frustration with Putin on this 
But Tucker kept trying to interrupt and, and ask, you know, normal questions mm. that you would expect, like, so why did you invade Ukraine? When do you see that you should have invaded? And Putin's just not having it. He's just, no, 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 I was in the middle of something. <laughs> so that's, that's that. That's a classic trick a, a very important politician or statesman can do. They just say, no, wait, you're going to let me finish. I was in the middle of my lecture. Though. <laughs> well, that's what he's there to give, isn't he? And of course, Putin is, you know, a, a, a real statesman, a, a powerhouse on the international stage. There's no doubt about that. So if he wants to say, he's going to say whatever he wants to say, right? Yeah, you can come to me and I'll give you a lecture. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, a lot of people made a joke because, you know, I mean, this is not even what you'd get out of Rishi Sunak here. But a lot of people making jokes. You know, imagine if Putin was talking about Western issues and was a Western leader. It's mm. like, so I'd like to talk to you about the American Civil War. Uh, you mean the Missouri Compromise? No, 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 no. This begins with the Saxon warlords <laughs> in Horsa on the shores of Britain in 449 AD. And that's where he'd start, at least seemingly from how he laid it all out. So that's that's well, the big takeaway. I'd I think. probably start a little earlier when the Romans left. I, know, I, know <laughs> I mean, okay, Henderson Horsa, okay, I'll allow it. What he's trying to do here is highlight his own knowledge of history in comparison to what Biden puts out. I think Biden put out something this morning that just said um, that Mexico should allow Gazan refugees Palestinian refugees to come into the country then come into the United States. It was a very basic sort of thing that Biden had said. What he said is the massive contrast to that. And I think that's what he's trying to highlight to whoever's listening is look at my depth of history of knowledge and look at your president. Mm. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. Yeah, talking cheese. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think um, you know, it's not really going out on a limb that, that Putin is, you know, a very, very serious individual. And Joe Biden is a, a, a joke, a clown, a yeah. puppet, a, a nothing, an empty bag. Yeah, crib. Right. Uh, <laughs> And, and I also think it's a, I don't know if you're going to go on to this, but it's also a trend in the West, certainly, to have sort of low resolution, to, to make arguments that history only started in 2014 or 1948 or whatever. History, whatever we're talking about now, you only need to know what, that the story started in the 1970s or whatever. And with Ukraine particularly, it's yeah. that dialed up, right? Yeah, of course. Don't worry about what happened before 2014. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's the, well, Putin's just make perfectly, really brilliantly making the point. No, 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 no. Exactly. History is a long, long line, and we can go back to the ninth century without being too absurd about it. Well, people think it started in 2020. I mean, a lot of people that write to me say, well, Russia invaded Ukraine. It's like, that's your limit of, you're yeah. not going back any further than that then. Yeah. That's not 2014. You're not doing it. Yeah. It starts in 2020, if you does it. That, I mean, and that's where our brains are at the moment. I think with social and TikTok and everything else, it's very easy to go. I've, I've been saying this outside to your guys as well. Like, you know, America, good. Russia bad. A lot of people love to hold those views. Very binary, very black and white basic views. It's comfortable, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, it's well, I'm on way. the good side and that's the bad side. Whereas if you speak to a lot of your Russian people, they were going, hang on a second, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Mm. A little bit more nuanced, you know what I mean? There's a little bit more. And I think what's happening here is he's, um, I think the whole Ukrainian, he's saying, look, Russia is quite fractious at the moment and we need to solidify the country a little bit. And Ukraine is about providing that kind of border and that focus for the people. But so I think you've got a perfect example in what you're talking about, the simplicity of mindset and what Kamala Harris said when she was asked about the conflict. And if you recall, she literally said, quote, Russia, a big country, attacked Ukraine, a small country. So we have to stand up for the small country. That's surprising. And it, it was like you were talking to a child. It was unbearable. And you are correct that there's an obvious massive gap here. But I, I think you're wrong on the idea that this is a, a move by Putin to try and show off. Because as I mentioned, my Russian friends and the people I've spoken to who are usual uh, with his speeches found this boring because this isn't uh, a new thing. He does this every lecture, very regularly. Usually it's to just a camera because he doesn't do many interviews. Yeah, yeah. And so this is actually just his wheelhouse day to day, nothing new. Yeah, yeah. And really that's the big story is that um, 
people got to see the difference between our leaders. I think so. Which is, of course, you can you can argue morals and policy and everything else, but this is just on a, a human level. This is a man who, if has a false version of history, has a version of history, yeah. understands it in depth. Yeah. And then you've got our guys who literally quote big country, small country. Well, this is what I meant by that disparity. Is what it kind of it's not that he's trying to highlight that, but it will be highlighted by the fact he's a very serious man that knows his history. I mean, I get called a Putin apologist the whole time, but I mean, I used to study electronic warfare in Russia, but and it's not it's the most dull subject in the world ever. Don't get me wrong, but there's a reason that they're very good at surface and missile systems and, and ground based air defense systems, and it's 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 regimented. It's, it's they're very good at those sort of things, and he is very he's a very serious man and, and also you have to this is what people don't you know more about this than me of course the east isn't like the west but we always apply our own standards when we're talking about things like they must feel like this because we feel like this so therefore they must feel but it's different over there i mean it's I me mean, afghanistan was different iraq was different and we both know about those and to have someone in charge of russia i mean we're lucky we have this man in charge of russia now because what's going to come after him I mean, no one knows, but it could be 20 times as worse as, you know, I think, I think we're quite fortunate. schizophrenic. It could be anything, couldn't it? I mean, yeah. he's holding together so many disparate groups in the country. And that's the person that's doing it. And if he wasn't there, and one day he won't be there, we'll probably look back and wish he was. It could be worse. It could be, an, it could be another Lenin or Stalin type person. It probably, well, I mean, it could be better as well. It could. <laughs> it could. He does murder journalists at a whim. <laughs> that's what I've said about Putin. I've got a, a long list of issues with the man. Sure. But if you zoom out from that, I agree with you. It could be, it could be so much worse. Com compared yeah. to which Russian leader would you have? Right. No, uh, right. Okay. Like, do you want an Ivan the Terrible? Also, I'll just very quickly build on the point you said that it's different in the East. It's different in Russia. Yeah. Their whole, the psyche of the of the Russian mm. is different to that of Western Europe or America. And look at their literature just for a start, just to scratch the surface. Sure. It's a different view of the world. You, you, Unbelievably. Right. Right. Yeah. I've got. Yeah. Sorry. I've got two thoughts on this. Um, and he spent forty bloody minutes on history, and I, I don't think there's no reason why. Tucker says it, it, as a piece to camera beforehand. He initially thought this was filibustering, and he just got really annoyed. Mm. But looking back on it, he's like, oh no, okay, they actually do think differently than us. It's not a small. Thing. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? And the and the two thoughts I have on this is that you've got an American and a Russian speaking, and the these. America is in a quite odd place compared to the old world. And a new old world versus new world is definitely a thing. This doesn't make the old world better or anything of the sort. I'm, I'm just trying to explain why these people are different. Is that the new world, especially the United States, as you say, will come to these issues and, and think in the last 30 years or something. Whereas the old world doesn't. Mm. We have long lines of yeah. ancient ethnic groups in these places and the interactions they've had. So it all matters. And that won't matter if the Russian Federation was a pure ideological state, because then it would just be about ideology. Now, in my view, the Russian Federation, especially since the war began, has become very much an ethnostate, especially after the Soviet Union. Compared to them, it's, it's a huge difference. And it's why he speaks in ethnic terms, and why, when it comes to this subject, you have to give a thousand-year history all of a sudden. Because if you're talking about your conflict and why you invaded, it's all about, well, we need to protect our ethnic people and blah, blah, blah. And these people, the Ukrainians, aren't really a thing because of this 1,000-year history. Agree with it or disagree with it, that's fine. I'm not making an argument for his position. I'm saying, why does he say this? And I think it's those two differences, which to a New World American type, such as Joe Biden, for example, would you ever get anything about him to understand that Old World, New World difference? And does he understand ethnostates and their demands? No. 
No, no, you can't. It's a new world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. New world, old world. I mean, people don't understand that. And all I say is, look, there's, he's got to put up with a lot. Like he has to hold a lot together. There's, there's a, I mean, there's, there's, this is what he does. It's not what, say, the president of America does. Massively different problems. It's, it's not even understandable. I mean, I struggle and I read a lot. I can't even, it's not even something I, I wasn't born with it. You know what I mean? I, I struggle to understand mm -hmm. this and yet it's all there laid out. I mean, you, you're a historian. I mean, you, you know all this stuff. It's, it's not easy. And I think you're absolutely right. That's why he's saying, I'm not giving a lecture. I'm just telling you, this is what I'm dealing with. I think that's what he's done to Tucker is to say, I'm dealing with this. What is Biden dealing with? Because it's not this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm dealing with. I think that's the difficulty. I think as I said, I'm not disagreeing with you whatsoever. Everything you said about the new world, old world thing, absolutely 100% agreed. Just to add to it, I would say that it's not even sort of uh, the new world being America, shorthand for America, but also just between, say, Britain and France and Russia. So like throughout sort of the 17th, 18th, 19th century, the great game, the great battle of, of, of will and power between the Western Europe and Russia for a couple of hundred years there, we struggled, never really came to terms with what it is, what it means to be Russian, the Russian experience, the soul of Russia. There are very it's, strange people. Yeah, it's not European, actually. It's yeah. certainly not Western European, let's say. Yeah. And it's a million miles away from the United States. If you're not born and raised into it, I think it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, to ever truly grasp. So I, I wanted to focus on this especially, because not only did he, but it was actually, I think, the most interesting part of the interview. The rest of it was rather not that interesting. I have some clips of what I think might be the best things, but you may have noticed if you're looking on social media, there aren't many because it yeah, just wasn't the right. case. Now, I'll, I'll quickly list the rest of what he argues. So he then goes on to argue the historical reality of his worldview of, of what happened. And then he gets asked about, well, okay, after the Cold War, what happened? And he says that basically the West rejected us. Uh, he offered to join NATO and was told by the then president, Bill Clinton, oh, that would be fine. And then the president came back after speaking to his people that, no, it's not fine. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. So he says, well, okay, we might not be part of NATO, but we could still be another country. There's plenty of those. They then got rejected to work with the Americans on an anti-Iran project. It's a missile defense project there. That's an example he gives. He then lists NATO expansion, but it's really not the big issue. In the American sphere, talking about the conflict, they usually focus on NATO expansion, but he didn't talk about it much. But he mainly focused on the fact that the promises of presidents are basically bloody worthless. Because in his interaction, he'll go to an American president, try and get some deal, and then the president will go and speak to the men in suits, yeah. or it, nothing will happen. And the best example he gives is that they found out, in his view, that the Americans were funding terrorists in the Caucasus, so the Islamic extremists in Chechnya and whatnot. Yeah. He went to the president, gave them the evidence, he says. The president said, I'm going to kick their effing ass, the people who were funding them, and then nothing happened. They then wrote to the CIA twice to get a response. And apparently the CIA responded, we support the opposition in Russia and we'll, we'll keep supporting them. Brilliant. The opposition being Islamist terrorists. Brilliant. So that's what he says. So, well, he's probably not wrong though, is it? I mean, the CIA doesn't know what the CIA is doing. So the CIA director doesn't actually know what the whole of the CIA is doing. That's the whole point of the CIA is you don't know what people are doing, but you've got the common goal of defeating America's enemies. And we all know that. And so with America's enemies, he sees that as, Russia, for example, he's not wrong. I mean, we talked about the civil service earlier, didn't we? I mean, we talked about the uni party. It doesn't matter whether you've got Labour or Conservative is in. It's still going to happen in the way it's always been happening. We're still been infiltrated by 
progressives, whatever it might be in the civil service in this country. I don't see America as any different. And he's right, but you can trust what he says because he's going to be there forever and he has been there forever. Right. So when you're dealing with oh. someone, arguably, if he gives you his word, he's going to, well, okay, but he's going to be there, isn't he? You know what yeah. I mean? You can still say, hang on, it was he you. He may betray you, but he will still be there at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it was the last guy who's not here anymore. We didn't agree with um, We didn't agree with the last guy anyway, you know what I mean? But this is this guy, this guy's my word. You might be out in two years, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's all he's saying there. It's like, it's, it's a figurehead as opposed to a, a, a populist sort of insertion of... So this is a, a running complaint he has. It's not just those examples. So he then goes on to Ukraine and says that, um, in his view, the Ukrainian president who was elected uh, decided to delay a decision on signing an agreement with the EU or Russia. This was what caused the coup or revolution in Ukraine. He calls it a coup and then basically concludes, as a result, Ukraine is now not only fake, but also gay because it's not a legitimate state. Um, he says that the CIA... <coughs> were promoting the opposition in Ukraine whilst lying to the Russians that they weren't doing it. Average state stuff. He then says that the West refused to deal with Russia after the coup happened. So that's the moment he decided that war was going to be inevitable, in which case, he has a famous quote on this, if conflict is inevitable, always be the one to strike first. That's his quote. And so they assisted Donbass and then invaded. Mm -hmm. And then he says that they were offered a deal that if they withdrew from Kiev, remember when they were yep. driving down, that they would have a peace deal signed. And in his words, he says the reason they withdrew was because this was an offer. And once they withdrew, the peace deal was burnt. And they were like, oh, screw you guys. Didn't so, Boris have something to do with that as well? Didn't was Boris that the time when Boris went over? Was that, that was that? before Boris. Before it was before. But then another issue came up where they could get a peace deal and apparently Boris came in and scuppered it. So his, his narrative is one of, I mean, we tried to deal with you, but I literally don't know who to talk to. Because even your big leader, the president, I come and talk to him and it either gets burnt or ignored. So I actually can't communicate with you on any level. And this is what's led to this. That's his version. Is, is he wrong though? I I mean, no, I don't think so. I because think... if you look at our, I, mean, I, saw, I saw Ben Wallace put a tweet out this morning of when he was defense secretary. And he said, in, in contrast to what this is, I'm going to, this is what I wrote last year. And you read it and you think, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to talk to Ben Wallace either. Yeah. Literally, his mind's made up. There's, there's no, and you see that with a lot of people that comment on either my videos or anything else. Their mind is made up. I was just chatting to, to, um, to one of your boys out there and saying exactly the same thing. It's like, it's important that we try to occupy or at least understand that middle ground or, or investigate it. But a lot of the guys on our side, I mean, Grant Shapps is a classic example. I mean, what's he doing there in the first place? You can't communicate with him. It's not possible. His mind is made up. He's never going to sit there and go, you know what? Valid. Let's go and have a chat. Yeah. How can we get out of this one? And actually, at the, at the moment, of course, because of the, uh, the Minx Accords and everything, he feels very hard done by, by the West. So there's no way he's going to back down over this. If anything, he's going to bury the West as much as possible. And you understand why. From a power position, I completely understand why. feels totally let down. So I'm taking your air I, I think it's really interesting if I just quickly say, um, it's very, very interesting that, for a start, you've got just the CIA. Okay, so the CIA have always, it seems, or at least, well, no, always, since Alan Dulles, their calculation always appears to be quite simplistic. If we've got an enemy, we decide that an enemy, North Korea, Soviet Union, whoever, Iran, then whoever is their enemy is our friend, like the Mujahideen. Just, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just give them endless yeah, money yeah. in arms because they're fighting the Soviet Union. work out right well. Yeah. Just, only, only thinking one or two steps ahead at best. Uh, so, okay. So it's really interesting that Putin says that. And it, it must be true. It seems self-evidently true that the president, that's not the guy. Right, because you're guaranteed at most he's going to be gone within eight years. That's right. So, so, okay, do I need to speak to some State Department people? 
Mm. Okay, yeah, do I need to speak to some Pent- Pentagon people? Yeah. Mm. Do I need to speak to people at the CIA? Who knows? Anthony Blinken. Did you say the CIA Tory don't Newland. know? Yeah, who am I speaking to? Yeah. What? Or are we going to sit here and throw bodies at it? No wonder he's frustrated. Yeah, I mean, as citizens of Western countries and being used to paying attention to politics, um, who can't have some sympathy of this, the understanding that the West doesn't seem to work as you'd expect. You can't really get yeah. stuff done, even if you win the election sometimes, which is... Yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. is it some Wall so, Street financier guys that have paid for the, for the well, careers of State Department it's, and, it's, and, and congressmen? Of course is it, it is. Do I need to speak to those guys? I mean... So who this, knows? Who knows? So this is an argument. So I've, I've seen people make very good videos criticizing Putin where they explain, no, his problem is he doesn't understand how the West works. It works this way, which is complex and based on mutual agreement between countries. You know, why do you join NATO, for example? That's a choice your nation makes, et cetera, et cetera. But either way, I think it's perfectly reasonable for anyone to get out of this. Oh, I can see why he doesn't understand us and therefore is frustrated. Now, does that mean he's the victim of everything because he lays out? No. Come on. <laughs> like, it takes two to tango to end up in a bloody wharf, for Christ's sake. And he goes on to speak about, uh, very briefly, Georgia, for example, mm. where he's like, oh, they were going to join the, uh, they were going to join NATO, and then they didn't. And it's like, well, yeah, you did sort of run the invade. Tanks, <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, though, so, is that there's a good book called Putin's Wars, and it does actually talk about the wars that he tends to enter are reactionary, which is interesting because we think, no, they're not. He's got these plans. But the book actually states it. And the book isn't a friend of Putin, but in the book, it kind of it states it. Look, these wars, he. He stumbles into because of something happening. He's like, okay, I'll go and suppress that insurrection then and try and change that government. But it's not like a plan he has. I mean, I, I, I'll put my hands up to it. You know, I wasn't, I read the book and went, oh, I kind of get it a little bit now. Like literally what he's controlling is very different to what we see as a control. I mean, he's controlling like, like a state that wants to rip itself apart and, and burn and kill everyone. It has many times. Yeah, exactly that. And he's controlling this. And that's why, you know, he, well, arguably you go and kill that guy because it's easier to kill that journalist and you know what I mean whatever it might be doing I mean crikey allegedly but it's just that and yeah the wars tend to be stumbled into anyway um, the point being if you wanted to understand Putin's worldview this isn't new but yeah you can get it from this pretty easily now the, let's move on I have some clips they're rather long but the, I'll do my best the next thing he moves on to is the fact that okay even if on statecraft stuff we can't agree and I can't find any ground I kind of hate you guys anyway <laughs> because you support Bandera indirectly so, oh, what, sorry? Bandera. So Stefan Bandera was a Ukrainian nationalist who during the Second World War, uh, his group uh, either worked with or independently of the Nazis, but ended up exterminating Jews, Russians, and Poles. Now, the Poles hate this guy. So when some Ukrainian nationalists, of course, who have escaped the war, came to Polish Independence Day with their flags, um, they beat the crap out of them for supporting Bandera. This is a big issue in Poland. That's uh, also a big issue in Russia, of course, because Bandera's guys are the source of what is called Ukrainian fascism and Ukrainian neo-Nazism. So he wants to talk about this. So, so just to clarify, is that so after Hitler invades Russia and he gets beyond modern Ukraine or beyond Kiev anyway, yeah. at that point he puts in this Bandera person, is that? So he wasn't installed is my understanding. Okay. Um, other people will know better than me, obviously. Uh, but Bandera's guys were Ukrainian nationalists and went to the Ukrainian state. There was some overlap in this idea during the Second World War, of course. But these guys, uh, yeah, they were genocidal. And in Ukraine, they're now known as heroes. There are streets named after him. The movement still exists today. Yeah, there are statues up. There are guys who who march regularly. And um, they're not a huge force, but they never really are. 
but they can still amass power, and that's what Azoth is, for example. Guys, okay. like him. Yeah, sure. Right, but let's play his words because I'm just trying to give a, a Cliff Notes version there, and these are long. If they considered themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so, but not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Would you be satisfied with the territory that you have now? I will finish answering the question. You just asked a question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, the president of Ukraine visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian parliament introduced a man who, as the speaker of the parliament said, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles and Jews. The SS troops consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine stood up with the entire parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself by the way, is a Jew by nationality. Really, my question is, what do you do about it? I mean, Hitler's been dead for 80 years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. And so, true. And so, I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism. But how? How do you do that? Listen to me. Your question is very subtle, and I can tell you what I think. Do not take offense. Of course. <laughs> this question appears to be subtle. It is quite pesky. You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years, but his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine, applauds him in the Canadian parliament, gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today? That is what denazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what denazification is. So I play that not only because that's his you know, moral complaint, but also it's the only aspect where he seems to get little, uh, a little bit animated. Yeah, You can see the sort of anger with Tucker there. He's like, oi. <laughs> it's valid though. I, you can't say it's not valid. I mean, that did happen. Yeah. 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 It was utterly embarrassed. Uh, you can go back to The Guardian. The Guardian articles from, I think, 2014, 2012 talk about the Azov Brigades, talk about the Nazification of the Brigades out. And I think they're the only brigades that were fighting at the time, weren't they? Because, I mean, these, these brigades exist. They were, they were brigades that celebrated what, the Ukrainian nationalism, I think. And when they, I mean, it gets pretty deep, actually. I don't wanna... But yeah, I mean, they did happen. And he's not wrong. Although, if he's alluding that was the reason he went into Western, so Eastern Ukraine to, to rid these, these people, I mean, it's. That's his official reason, one of them, I should say. It was repatriation of the Russian-speaking people. So this Donbass, uh, defending Donbass, denazifying Ukraine, yeah. two big pillars. Yeah. So there we are. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's probably important. The next clip I have is him talking about Nord Stream because everyone was excited. Is he just going to come out and be like, yeah, I saw this one, yeah. You did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll play what he said because what he said is, uh, if not interesting, at least strange. Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than 33 trillion dollars. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia? Make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end? And realizing this, actually return to common sense, start respecting our country and its interests, and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have... Do you have... <laughs> Uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, though. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. <laughs> did you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, Look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the US, CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work but it is cost-prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened and even American analysts talk about it directly. So there we are. Mm. He uh, doesn't present the evidence, which... No, he doesn't. That's his reasoning. He's got... He's valid, though. There aren't many countries that can do it. And one of them is us. As a former naval officer. you need a submarine program, surely. So, to, well, and that narrows it down to like... The diving expertise is, is not something many countries actually... You would know, so who... who yeah, does? so, well, West, some Western countries are very good at doing it. But also, the amount of money was generated by that pipeline, why would you blow up your own pipeline? So you could pretend someone else blew up. It doesn't make sense. No, yeah, the whole yeah. thing literally yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, I mean, the amount of money spent just building the pipeline and the, the fact it was supplying... I mean, this is all about America trying to supply Europe with, with uh, liquid natural gas, isn't it? Across the oceans, what they're trying to bring in liquid natural gas. And of course, the whole point was he was doing it himself. And it's a way of turning... And he's got... And this is why I'm called a Putin apologist. But what is America doing in Eastern Europe? Mm. He's, not in, he's not over there on the Mexican border or the Canadian border, is he? 
But America is there on his border. And he's, he's saying, I've mean, got anything better to do. I can, we've got to understand that, surely. This is why I'm called as a Putin apologist, because he makes a lot of sense with that particular point. Why are we Which doing is it? a bigger issue to an American citizen, their own border or the Ukrainian border? Well, you can, I can argue see sympathy in that. Argument. Who's responsible for that, that border immigration? Arguably, Russia's probably behind a lot of the immigration that's coming in, I would have thought. That's if I was, if I was him, how do I destroy a country from within? Subversion. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to infiltrate your civil service and your all your departments and administration, of course, and we're going to we're going to put lots of immigration into your country, which is going to really change the fabric of the way people vote. If I could say something that is a little bit, a tiny bit, I don't think it is, but you could quite easily argue that it's a little bit conspiracy theory. Era. Okay, the project for the new American century, if you've ever heard of that. I've heard of it. Uh, anyway, there's uh, there has been in the very end of the 20th century, in the beginning of this century, quite an explicit, over open goal for the Pentagon and the State Department to, for America to essentially dominate the whole world. Sure. The whole world. Not actually invading everywhere in the world with tank divisions and putting puppet, but in all sorts of senses, dominating the whole world. So when you look at, if you look at it through that lens, then yeah, they're in Eastern Europe. Then yeah, they're putting pressure on someone oh, like Putin sure. constantly. Yeah, they're going to blow up a pipeline that's making Russia and, and Germany richer yeah. and better. They're going to screw with that. Because what was the point in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, and Syria, if not to dominate the Middle East? So, yeah, I can see the argument. Uh, Just I'll, having bases all around the world, really. Sorry, carry on. I'll wrap up as much as I can. So he then goes on to speak highly of China for some weird reason, which is, is doubly weird from a Russian perspective because they're not the best of friends. They're only really friends right now because they need each other. Sure. By so, default. Sort of. Yeah, that's probably just him being diplomatic, to say sure. the least. Uh, he then goes on to say that American leadership literally doesn't matter. We've covered that. <laughs> but he reiterates it where he's just like, I'm so sick of you people because I don't know who to talk to, which I'm trying to tell you that's a lot of what he says. Uh, he ends on, and the whole interview ends on Tucker Carlson uh, asking him whether or not Russia will release a US citizen who is being charged with espionage. And Tucker's very defensive of this guy. He's an editor for, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, and he was in Russia and was arrested with the claims being that he got access to classified material that he shouldn't be. And so they've kept him. And Tucker Carlson's last 20 minutes are literally just like, let him go. What are you doing? And it's just like, well, what do we need to do to give you to let this guy go? Oh, really? So it's not him just sitting there and asking him his opinion. He does actually use the last 20 minutes to argue for the release of a US citizen as well. So there's that. And then the very end of it is this interaction, which is probably the most poetic aspect of it, and I'll, I'll play it and you can make your own opinions, of course. This endless mobilization in Ukraine, the hysteria, the domestic problems, sooner or later it will result in agreement. You know, this probably sounds strange given the current situation. But the relations between the two peoples will be rebuilt anyway. It will take a lot of time, but they will heal. I'll give you very unusual examples. There is a combat encounter on the battlefield. Here's a specific example. Ukrainian soldiers got encircled. This is an example from real life. Our soldiers were shouting to them, there is no chance surrender yourselves, come out and you will be alive. Suddenly, the Ukrainian soldiers were screaming from there in Russian, 
perfect Russians saying, Russians do not surrender, and all of them perished. They still identify themselves as Russian. What is happening is, to a certain extent, an element of a civil war. Everyone in the West thinks that the Russian people have been split by hostilities forever. No, they will be reunited. The unity is still there. Why are the Ukrainian authorities dismantling the Ukrainian Orthodox Church? Because it brings together not only the territory, it brings together our souls. No one will be able to separate the soul. Shall we end here, or is there anything else? And that's what it ends on. So there we are. Um, he definitely believes he's got time on his side. Um, I can't say too much about the state of Ukraine. All we get is the videos I can see online. But if we get back to the web, as previously mentioned, I've been there a lot very recently as well. And I can definitely say from what I've seen, not only was this interaction entirely what is given to the Russian population, it's in line. For example, this is the uh, NATO exhibition in the Victory Museum in Moscow. And this is just a big exhibition arguing NATO made us do this. And it's exactly the same speech, essentially. You can see here they include his uh, invasion speech. But the idea that he's got time on his side, the Ukrainians have lost all of their women and children, they left, they're running out of manpower, it's dysfunctional, whereas in Russia, with all the sanctions, nothing's really changed. All I can add to that is from being there and speaking to as many people as I could, everyone I spoke to in Russia said nothing's really changed. Like there's been a bit of inflation and that's it, which is as bad as we've had it. So for them, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, I don't know. But his viewpoint is that, is all I can say. He has said, though, that he has to live with, he says that Russia has to live with whatever Ukraine ends up being. So he doesn't want to be engaged, he doesn't want to be killing Ukrainians. He said that already, like they're going to be on our border, whatever we do. So, you know, we need to, and I think he's, I think he's right, you know, that there's going to be a peace, there always is. But it's either going to be a peace with half a million dead on each side, it was going to be a piece earlier than that. And I think with Johnson going over, it was one of the worst things I ever saw mm-hmm. in an act of diplomacy to maintain that. And it, I mean, I was working in defense and I can't talk too much about it and I, I won't, it's not that relevant, but it's an industry that needs to be constantly fed through the taxpayer purse and, and to get rid of all our LifeX missiles or weapons <coughs> systems into that battlefield. Ben Wallace even said, he said something along the lines of, it's a test bed. This, this, this area of operations right now is a testing ground for us. And you would use it as that as well. I would, most definitely. But every war is for us. Of course it is, absolutely. And it's very beneficial. And, and arguably, it's a very useful war for us to have, to see how the Russian formations work, to test their capabilities. I mean, as an electronic warfare specialist, I can see how they work. And it's kind of how we kind of expected, but there are some very interesting developments. And that's only what I'm getting here. Imagine if you were in, like literally, that, that speciality. And doesn't it mean that the MOD can now go to their, their overlords and say, we, you have to give us more money, more money. to buy new stuff well, you're now. Seeing now. But, yeah. You're seeing it now. You're seeing it now with putting um, uh, shore-based um, assets onto, onto frigates that weren't there in the first place. We need to put these weapons on. One thing you've said for a long time or from the beginning on Twitter, which is what something Putin said there that was almost lost amongst what he said in some of those last comments is that uh, Russia will be in this to the end. You know, yeah. you hear on our side say, uh, as long as it takes... You get Rishi Sunak and yeah. uh, Chuck Schumer and 
Kamala Harris saying, as long as it takes, it's like, no one believes you. What no. real but I believe what, Putin when now. he says, till yeah. the end. Yeah, well, he's been there. I said about this earlier. So, like, what was Ukraine used for? And it's like, well, what formations went across Ukraine into Russia? That was the whole point. We, we accessed Russia from Ukraine. If you look at Ukraine, it's actually further east than Moscow. So he sees it as a very easy to encircle Moscow, where there's huge population densities, of course. He doesn't want that. And the Russian population don't want that. So although we might say that NATO is not offensive, he says, why, why does NATO exist? It didn't let him join, did it? it didn't let Russia join. So NATO is, exists to defend against Russia. So if you're defending against something, then that thing you're offending against, we're defending against, by the nature is offensive. So NATO sees Russia as offensive. So he sees NATO as offensive. And you can understand it from the Russian point of view. Why expand into Ukraine? And the people that argue with us, and I'll stop by five seconds, say, well, any country should be able to join NATO. And I agree, but it comes with consequence. And that's what you're looking at right here is a massive consequence with very young people dying that you're not going to be able to rebuild your country because of. It's amateurish, the fact that the whole thing even happened in the first place. We could see it happening from 2014. In 2008, at the Bucharest summit, he said the red line, remember we have red lines, that means something. Obviously, Obama's never meant anything, did it in, I think it was Libya, with the gas attacks, but his red lines mean something. Syria, Syria it was Syria, sorry. His, his red lines do mean something. The red line is Georgia and Ukraine don't get to join NATO. And we went and pushed that, and that's what happens. It's, it Twice. is literally, it's literally amateurish, is what it is. And we're doing it on intentionally on purpose, and then we're crying, "Oh, give us, you know, give us weapons, give us weapons to go and fight something that we knew was going to happen." And, and at least he's well. Okay, I'm not going to say at least Putin's speaking the truth here, but you know, when, when you look at it, he's not, he's not lying. He's literally saying, "Who can I speak to to sort this thing out? I've got to live with these people. What's going on?" Well, the the big takeaway from all of this is that um, something I argued about when Russia Day got taken off the air. Obviously, a Russian propaganda outlet but we still have Al Jazeera, which is a Qatari propaganda outlet on our airways. If you can't understand your enemy, you will make stupid decisions. And one of those fundamental stupid decisions was the delusion we have in exactly what you were pointing to. What does Kamala Harris or Boris Johnson really have invested in Ukraine? Bugger all. Especially compared to someone like Vladimir Putin. He's got his entire future invested in the bloody thing. And this annoyed me to no end because I saw Douglas Murray, who did Wonderful work, of course, as usual. He went to Ukraine, to the front line. He wanted to find out what their worldview was and everything else. And he, he wrote a great piece on it. But then at the end, he mentioned that, I believe Ukraine will win because Russia has nothing to fight for. You only get to that conclusion if you are unable to listen to the Russian perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what's interesting about any of this. I hope it did a fair enough job of just trying to lay out that's, that's what's there. Yeah. And the big story on this is, oh, we can hear his viewpoint, which shouldn't be a big story. That should be the bloody norm in which you can then... It should be the norm. Yeah, if you think he's talking bollocks, you then turn around and say, no to bollocks. Course. And life moves on. But no, instead it's been banned. But the people who did decide to go with that, that's their analysis. Um, CNN just went with its propaganda. It was just propaganda. I'm also going to say that because it stops them being used the same thing. I mean, it's a war on right. the Russian border with no logistical supply issues whatsoever. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. It's, it's Russia. unwinnable. It's Russia. It? Isn't it unwinnable? They're resource rich in a way that America never is. It's, it's, it literally is unwinnable. I've said this. Right. It's an unwinnable war. It's never going to be won. How do you define winning, people would say? Uh, well, another good question. Well, maybe not, not giving Russia a third of your country would be. I mean, it's, it's not ever going to be a winnable war. It's For Ukraine. Yeah. Of course. Well, if, if the, well, if the Russian... If, if you hold on to independence of your Ukraine. Right. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to... I need no, to... I, I, sorry. For the yeah. sake of time, if nothing yeah. else. But I, I don't wish to get into the argument about the war. My argument was just about the interview because yep. that's the thing that okay, happened. And what is there is that, well, you could hear the other side. You, you could go and find that, but it wasn't easy, let's say the least. And it led to things like Douglas Murray saying the Russians have nothing to stand on. <sighs> go and meet them. They, they do have arguments. Of course. You can course. disagree with them, but they exist.
Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So there we are. That took up way too much bloody time, but I think it was an important event. So uh-huh. there we are. Let's move on to the death of the Royal Air Force. Death of the Royal right. Air Force, Mike. Right. That one yeah. labelled now. Yeah. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I'm so, going to get out of this building, haven't I? So my segment here, as we've got a uh, uh, retired squadron leader, Tim Davis, of His Majesty's Royal Air Force with us today, I thought it would be crazy not to talk about the RAF a little bit and the crisis in it. Uh, we Earlier this morning, we recorded an interview, a two-hour interview, where we dive into it in quite a lot of detail. Still not enough detail. Would have liked five or six hours, to be perfectly honest. But in this segment, we're going to uh, you know, scrape, scrape the surface on it. Before we get into it, I do have to do a quick shill for uh, uh, FCR. Father Calvin Robinson, who has joined us here at the Lotus Eaters uh, with his Common Sense Crusade, which is, uh, I understand is going to be a weekly thing live. Um, and so he's with us now. So check that out. And the first one went up uh, yesterday, right? Um, and so, and you can use um, uh, a code, Crusade, to get 50% off if you want to become a Gold Team member, which I do recommend, obviously. So you get loads of stuff. If you become a member, you get access to literally hundreds of hours of me talking to Carl about history, if that's your thing. Or Josh talking about psychology or whatever. Stelios talking about um, philosophy. Or Dan Tubb talking about economics. All right. Anyway, chill over with. Let's talk about the RF. Um, so, well, the the big story, isn't it, is that they've gone down the DEI route, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and obviously with something as serious as flying airplanes, all sorts of airplanes, not just fast jets. Something as sort of serious as that. It's kind of it, it needs to be a meritocracy, right? You can't pick people on the strength of how much menelin they have or haven't got in their skin, right? You can't just insist that they've got to be 20% women for the sake of it. Um, it has to be a meritocracy. You should have to pick the best people, whoever they are, whether they are a woman or an ethnic minority or anything. And uh, they don't seem to be doing that. For example, John, if you could put, uh, just bring up that first, first little, that, that first thing. So um, on, on the Royal Air Force website, um, there's a whole... There's a whole thing about, oh, who's scrolling down? You I'll do it, don't worry. If you scroll down a bit, you'll find that, you know, quite quickly you come up to a diversity and inclusion bit. Keep going. There you go. There you go. There's a bit, and you can click into that, and there's more to be read. And they're just, they're just absolutely committed to um, having less white men, because that's what it boils down to, isn't it? You talk about women, you talk about ethnic minorities. What it really is, the flip side of that, the flip side of that coin is less white men. That's what diversity means. Right. And, they've got, and they did it, and they spent millions, a few million on the initiative, and they did it, and then they got in trouble because it came out in the wash that it just wasn't okay to do that, and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. Tim, if you want to... Yeah, I mean, that was, that's Tori, the Typhoon part of that. I trained Tori. Really? Uh, yeah, Tori's one of mine. She's on course one going through fast jet training. She's lovely. And uh, Tori's no different because she's a girl. The difference with Tori, because she's a girl, is that I think she has had a child now. Um, women do get pregnant. Shock horror. The real women, you know, not the new women. But the real women do get pregnant and they do have children. And the issue being is that what Mike Wigston, who's the chief of the air staff, was saying was that he wanted 40% women and 20% minorities in the Royal Air Force by 2030, which is a huge, and it came out of nowhere. That figure was. But well, that's uh, an arbitrary number. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. There, right? Now, Rich Knighton, who's the new chief of air staff, hasn't 
pushed that. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't said he's not going. He hasn't said anything about it. But my issue, the only way you can do that, if you accept diversity, then you will have to sacrifice meritocracy. And if there's a meritocracy, it's one that flies these airplanes right here. Okay. I mean, I, I trained Tori for a long time. We, you know, she was an fi- absolutely fine student. No issues with Tori whatsoever. She was on a course with three men, course of four. Uh, the very first course you put through on the Hawk T2. All of them went on to F-35, uh, Typhoon. Um, they all did really well. She's no different to any of them, apart from the fact that we know at some point, I remember Tori, well, let's not talk about Tori because it's Tori, isn't it? I remember um, one of the conversations was, when do women have children? Can they do it in flying training? Because flying training is almost seven years, long time. It should be three and a half, but the way when we privatized, we didn't, but when privatized, uh, flying training was privatized, uh, it did take a lot longer to get these people through for many, many reasons. Um, and, and we're saying, look, you've got to do it as soon as you get on the front line if you want kids, because a lot of these women are getting into late 20s. And one of those kind of things that we tell women is you can have everything, can't you? Well, try and have a kid in your late 20s. It's much easier when you're in your early 20s, because that's when you're most fertile. And these women aren't, aren't, aren't stupid. They're clever. They know that the longer they leave it, the harder it's going to be, especially when you're throwing your body around in a fast jet that your body's not supposed to be in. Any body's not supposed to be in it. You've got massive cortisol rise. Your body's not in a nice condition to have kids and get pregnant. So it's not the easiest thing to do in the world, either for men or women. I mean, I haven't got any kids and I've lived for 20 years, you know what I mean? But that is sometimes a blessing. Although, uh, you know, you have some silly animals instead that you're knocking about the house. So, yeah, when you do push for that level of diversity, when you do push for 40% women, you have to acknowledge the fact that they are going to have children at some point. Some of them, you can work out the percentage, is going to be the majority, isn't it? I think it's only 25% that don't have kids. One of them, which, which is my wife, of course. Now, if you do that on a squadron with these airplanes here, you've got 15 Tories and Tonys, whatever, on a squadron. So you've got 15 pilots on a squadron. I worked it out with some A-level rudimentary maths. If you have half of that squadron as women, which you don't have at the moment, if you do, you need the squadron to be 1.3 times the size. Where's that money coming from? Because it's expensive. So we're playing around with shit that you don't want to mess around with. If you mess around with it, you have absolute failures and right now we've got three people leaving the military for every one person joining unsustainable mm-hmm. literally that should be a criminal act people should be locked up for allowing that to happen i've campaigned against this for about four or five years now i was cancelled i mean i lost a job in 2022 for putting videos up about where are we now 2022 for putting videos up about this about diversity in the air force and saying hang on a second guys you're messing with something it's not the post office it's not b&q not mcdonald's mm. you mess up that you get your little hamburger all kind of crafty off to one side understand that no one's dying mm. people are dying and one person who's going to die is a student i train called tory so we have to be very careful when we start messing around with diversity because you can't unpedal it you can't go let's unwrap that and go back to the way it was tim well, they're trying to now because they're trying to get guys like me back into the service. The United States Air Force is doing that as well. The Royal Air Force is doing it on a reserve service liability commitment where because you've been in, I think for six years, if you're under a certain age, you don't run your own business and stuff like this. You haven't previously been an alcoholic. That also helps. You know, they might have you back. Um, so I'm pretty safe. But they will, um, they will bring you back and they are bringing back some administration branches that have left back into the service because they cannot get people back in. And we're going to see it soon, I think, with this conscription thing that's being pushed at the moment. I think they're doing that for a reason so that you can start saying, well, we've got reserve liability commitment. We can shore up these billets that are not there anymore. Because the thing about people like Tory, and as lovely as she is, once you've had a child, the last thing you want to do is put your body in a, back in a fast jet. I know men that don't want to do that after they've had kids because things change, don't they? I mean, you guys might have kids, I don't know, but things change. The last thing you want to do is go and fly around the Welsh hills with things that can kill you or go and live on a tanker in the dark above North Syria where if you land, they're going to chop your head off. Your partners don't like you doing that. Mm. I remember my uh, my mum saying when Kenneth Bigley was killed out in Iraq, I was over the top at the time. Um, and she wrote me a letter because back in those days, it, you know, it was easy to do that. And she said, is that going to happen to you when you're shot down? Are we going to see you on TV with the head cut off? Valid. That's my mum saying that. Mm. It's valid. Mm. 
Do you imagine what her, her husband's actually a fast jet mate as well? But can you imagine what her husband thinks when she's out there or she thinks when he's out there? You don't want that life. It's not a nice life. Being a fast jet mate takes a long time and it's something you have to think about the whole time and it takes up 24 hours of your day. It's not a nice thing to do. And then to know that you're doing it with people that may not be the best people, but they've got the right skin color. I mean, come on. I mean, we're fucking around with some serious shit right now and we shouldn't be and people will die because of it. So are we waiting for that death to happen? Because we can do that as well. But it might be your family that has that because it's also going through civilian aviation as well, especially in America as a court case against the FAA to do with air traffic control where they were telling minorities what to fill in on the application so that they could see the application and go, that's a minority. Let's take that application forward. That's going through at the moment. It's quite a sad thing really because we think a lot of it from what I'm reading People didn't really realize what they're doing. They thought this is the problem. People think they're doing something positive with diversity. But as we talked about earlier, it's... You end what, up killing people. What you're saying is, let's bring that guy in because he's black. Not because he's better or worse. It's so humiliating mm. for someone mm. that the only reason you're getting this job is because you're a woman. And by the way, Tori was in a long time before this happened. I mean, I've seen good pilots in my time and Tori's up there with, with really good pilots, really good students, really good pilots. I wouldn't say it if she wasn't. You know I mean? but, so she really is. So... Luckily, in fast year aviation, we're still in a position that if you're not good enough, one or two things happens. Guys like me just put you on a different aircraft type, like a multi-engine or a helicopter, and you're going to be a lot safer there. It's just how it works out. Or you die. So you don't get to the front line. But you might kill people in the process of dying. You might land on an orphanage or some shit like that, you know what I'm saying? But the truth is you won't, you won't, you won't complete your training if you're not good enough. And there's a secondary point to it that, of course, there's the individual lives of pilots on squadrons and the people they share the immediate airspace with. But then there's also the question of the defense of the nation. Sure. Is compromised. Sure. As well, which obviously is extremely why concerning. Why are we happy to why, allow that? Why on earth would we do it? You mentioned Mike Wigston. used to be, quite recently, he's been changed as a uh, chief air marshal. Right. Right? Um, so uh, where this has come from, where it comes directly from politicians, from parliament, from senior ministers, from the Ministry of Defense, from the cabinet office, from... It, it, goes down until you get, until the RF itself is forced or they deliberately pick someone like Winston or in other ways, in, a, yeah. in, in one way or another, they're forced to do DEI stuff, diversity and inclusion right. stuff. And it's, you know, to anyone in their right mind, it's madness, right? It's crazy. Like you said about, okay, do it in McDonald's and uh, yeah, you get a burger that's a bit of a mess. Big deal, really. You go shop somewhere else. But like, it doesn't yeah. put it doesn't put a nation's security at risk. It Unless doesn't put you want people's to. lives at risk. Unless you want to. Unless you right. want. So to. it's very deliberate. Well, it seems to me very deliberate. It's not by accident the RAF is suddenly. No, I think it's deliberate work. as well. So yeah. the army can't deploy seventy six thousand undeployable. You can't get a division out of that. There's no way you can you can get a division out of the army seventy six thousand. It's not deployable. It wasn't really deployable in Afghan. I think we had less than when I was in Afghan. Um, we had less than 10,000 people deployed. That was the maximum. I think they couldn't deploy more than 8,500. We fair. only really had Camp Bastion, right, for most of the time. Like one one camp. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it just it's not something, even the Navy now, with deploying left. ships. And, but the, the problem that I've got as a British man, and, and you guys obviously the same, is that we can berate this, but we're berating ourselves. The failure here is ourselves, failing to stand up. You're talking about, you know, you, you're going and you're going to stand up and represent yourself and hopefully be elected. And that can, You are doing something positive. But there's not enough British people doing something positive here. And we should be. We should be saying, no, we're not going to tolerate this. And it's not just voting out the uni party. And I don't know necessarily what it is other than I've got a big thing about activists that wave a flag. It's like, well done. What, what essay did you write? What, you, what podcast did you go on? 
What, you know me, what YouTube video did you do? I mean, what did you do? Mm. Wave the flag, because I thought it was important that we support people in Palestine. Well, well done. I'll clap you out and then go back to your work and you're never going to do anything again. We should be as British people saying this is not good enough. And it is not good enough, by the way. I don't know many British people that say it is, whether we're talking about immigration that we had no vote on before, whether we're talking about the intentional demise of our core public sector services, some of which in the military, that we really need to provide. Because it, the military is one place where, this is why the meritocracy is so important. Young, impoverished British kids go to the military and it takes them out of that poverty. And then they come out and then they go and they just struggle and they go and do something good with their lives. And that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't got into the military in the first place. I think the only part of the military I can see that's actually pushing it back against this in some way is the Royal Marines at the moment. And they're getting smaller and smaller. The army's, the army's all over this stuff. You speak to young army officers, they're, they're loving this diversity stuff. And they, they, they hit me all the time on Twitter. Mental people. The, the Navy, flags on warships, just mention you as an officer in the Navy before you Before tried, I was in the yeah, Navy, yeah. So you know actually both Absolutely, yeah. And service. then obviously I was, in the Air, I was in the Navy five years, Air Force 15 years. So the Navy's got all these flags flying. I remember people saluting this LGBT flag at, at shore establishment. And I actually, someone wrote to me and he's like, I was in that picture. What were you doing? And this, this guy's got his head down. You might have seen the picture like that. I said, what were you doing? He says, with hindsight, that was completely the wrong thing to do. He went back and he went to his boss and he said, what are we doing saluting LGBT flags? Mm. And his boss eventually went, yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. So I think we've got good people that don't, level of ignorance. They don't have time to think about it. They literally are busy with their work, the families. A lot of these people are quite young. So they're, you know, they're building their careers. And it's up to people that have, have got that capacity to come on shows or, or to, to, to write or to, to actually kind of say, hang on, guys, we can, we, can, we can think about this. We are British. We can, you know, when I'm, in, when I'm in my gym, I've got the flag of the union, so the union flag, and I've also got the English flag. And as I said earlier to you, my wife sometimes says, you've got the English flag up there. It's a bit football, Tim, isn't it? I'm like, it's your flag. You don't have another flag. <laughs> what do you mean it's a bit football? <laughs> it's your flag. It's the, it's the English flag. You know how many people have died under that flag and been carried off the battlefield in that flag? We, we joke about this shit, but it's, it's funny until it's you that's dying under that flag. And that's why I get quite serious about it. People don't understand the emotion that around. There are, some, there are British men and women out there that understand exactly what I'm saying. And they, they really do. And I know someone that would be tearful right now because they understand what I'm saying. And yet they're kind of ridiculed. And yet that's the core backbone of this country. These, these people are being ridiculed by their government, by the elites that, I, I don't want to get into that whole kind of thing, but it's, when you see this happening, it's just so wrong on so many levels. Mm. Well, you hit on a, a fantastic point there, especially in a way to phrase this, because we've spoken about diversity and the damage it does in every aspect of society, whether that's financial or just the immoral aspect of saying to a young candidate who was born in the year like 2002, yeah. But because of historic racism, you can't be in the civil service. <laughs> what are you talking about? But that's said, is it? In, in an incident like this, you're a murderer. Like, I'm sorry, you've actually caused people's deaths because of your ideological obsessions. And in which case, yeah, this, this isn't even funny anymore. This, yeah, this, yeah. this is murder, in my view, after what you've explained that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd go, it's not so. You just if have you to know wait. what you do will cause to needless death. I don't think, I don't think they're very clever. Oh, I'm talking about someone who would know that. So we're looking at the cabinet but level. Do they know that? Are we saying these people are clever? If you look at what Grant Shapps is saying recently, he's not a clever guy. He's saying recently that he thinks the military should be representative of the population it serves, which is an absolute fucking nonsense. Let's be honest about it. Make any sense? It, it doesn't like, make any sense. What you want disabled people in there? People that can't hear anything? Blind people? This, Come on. Yeah. Let's, Did let's you hear about this about in it? Germany? 
No, what was that? So the parliament said this, some parliamentarian. Did they really? And the AFD got up and went, yes, of course, we must uh, get tanks that are able to have pregnant women in the driver's seat. Yeah. And then they quickly realized how stupid that was. It is stupid. And this is what I mean. So people, this is Grant Shapps. I mean, this is Ben Wallace. These, ben Wallace was championing this stuff. Didn't the American Air Force actually make flight suits for pregnant women? They did. But the thing is, you can't fly pregnant women. So when (laughs) the moment that Tori, I mean, she's under nine Gs. The the G pants she's wearing here, what you don't see on Tori right here, you see the G pants that are going to squeeze her G and it's going to give about two Gs worth of protection. It's going to keep enough blood in her brain to keep her conscious because the brain being a clever thing is going to shut itself down first. It goes, I just want to protect the heart and lungs because that's what it does. So it switches the brain off. Unconscious death within about four or five seconds in one of those aircraft because, of course, it hits the sea, doesn't it? But what you don't see Tori wearing is this, this thing on her chest that compresses her chest. Now she gets forced breathing. Forced breathing comes in. It's unique to the typhoon. I didn't ever wear it. And then the, the cell wall, the, the wall between the outer body and the inner body is compressed, again, to hold blood into the brain because it's pulling 9G, sustaining 9G, one of the most powerful aircraft we fly. It, and so now she's pregnant and now we're compressing the body and we're expecting her not to miscarry. She will. It's a, it's a wonder she gets pregnant in the first place, to be fair, because that is not a conducive environment to it. Most women are on the pill when they're flying because obviously, you know, moves and everything else, they take the pill. You've got to come off the pill to start that. You know, mood swings, everything. We've, you know, it's just not... Like you have to know nothing to think that you need a flight suit for pregnant women. I don't think they know anything. I think these okay. people are so stupid. I think the problem that we have is we don't realise how stupid these people are. I think that's the big thing. I think we literally need to turn around and go... I do this on Twitter sometimes. Like, we're not even... I can't communicate with you on the same... I don't know whether you're four because you're called Bambi Girl 26 or whatever. I don't know who you are, but we're coming at it like this, mate. You know what I mean? So how are we even starting to communicate? I sometimes say, right, just pretend I'm wrong. But You're right, you're right, you're right. right. Can we, no, you can't because you're an activist. I mean, I don't know how we can even have this conversation. But if we don't have the conversation, if we allow these people to... to basically, what happens with us is we just, like, we just give up. We're like, you're an idiot. I'm going from somewhere else. And so we never push. At least you're doing something about it. You're going in and saying, I want to in politics and I want to put myself forward and hopefully I can make some change. Most people, the hassle factor, because these people never go away. There's an army of them because they don't need to educate themselves because we can sit on TikTok all day. They, I said to you earlier tonight, if you put, see, I get attacked a lot by very young women, not, not many, um, not many of them, but some young women come and say, I'm a sexist, misogynist, blah, 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 I don't know, transfer, add whatever you want, transfer. and I say to them, if I put you as, as young women, and I wish I could, in front of people like Tori, you were a different person. You would not recognize. She could not communicate with you in a way that you'd understand. That woman has trained her entire life. I think she's like grade nine violin or some shit. She like led the debating class at school. The thing about Tori, the problem with Tori that we had is that she hadn't failed anything before. So now you get her, if you put her on a tanker over North Syria and she can't get fuel and she's failing, you don't know how she's going to react. We almost had to like fail Tory sorties for her. Like she was a good student, but every student makes mistakes. You can fail them in order to get her to understand what failure meant. First attempt in learning. That's all it is. It's just a first attempt to learn. I'd rather she learn in a controlled environment. Now she's been doing this since she was eight years old. Eight. These women that are criticizing me have done nothing like she's done ever in their lives. If you put them in a room with people like Tori or Sasha and some other women that I trained as well, these women would be like, yeah, I realize I'm going to have to shut the fuck up here because these women here, this is why they're in jets. There's not much else they can talk about, like me, because I'm a, I'm a jet guy and that's all you do 24-7, 365. That's all you do. Fine, we have to be doing that. Else you do kill yourself and your friends if you don't know what you're doing. And these are incredibly complicated machines. But these women that are arguing for for more women in the Air Force have never had an experience of the Air Force at all. All Tory wants is good people on her wing mm. to put missiles down range to keep them more safe. She didn't, couldn't care whether they're black, white, couldn't care whether they're squirrels. Just wants them on their wing. You know what I mean? So people argue about this and they're coming from a position of 
absolute ignorance, as you're saying. And I think we give them too much airtime. But I don't know how not to, because all we try and do, of course, is persuade people to understand the nuance and the grey area so that we can move forward together as British people as well. You've mentioned her to me before, never named her before, but you've mentioned an anecdote before that there was a female on one of your training squadrons who was so brilliant that she just never failed at anything. You had to deliberately fail her. I now got a, a face to put to that. Yeah, it's so, very interesting. Very, yeah, I mean, I'm sure tours won't mind the me, best of me the saying. Best, the true top girl. Yeah, we repeated about six trips to there. She was struggling towards the end of the course on a particular, quite a complicated particular phase. And it was, the thing about it is, this is why the airline guys have a go at me. If she passed, she passed. You're flying an airliner, mate. You're not flying a, a jet. You know what I mean? It's a fundamentally different thing that airline mates find difficult to understand. The problem with, with going through flying training is you probably could graze every sort of, you could probably, and you could get to the end and we could probably get you through. But if you fell on the front line, you just die. So the way the way the training system used to be was you had to like literally had tests. We could really challenge it. And then it became like every sort it was a test, really. But the way the civilianization of it did it was was very much as long as you get two, three is kind of like a pass. But if you get two, you can go. And Tori was hitting twos on quite a lot of things in a particular area. I think it was um ground attack, if I remember correctly. And it just got to the stage where instructors were coming up to me saying, We're gonna stick on a typhoon here. She's getting twos, 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 twos. What are we going to do? And it was like, well, if we do this now, if we stop her flying now, 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 like halfway through the course, we can repeat those six trips and she'll end on a high. She'll go onto the typhoon, confidence, all that kind of stuff. She'll do really well. And she's doing really well. She's a great yeah. person. Yeah, I'm sure. But you have to, you have to take a proactive step. And that's why as a standards officer, you've got to make sometimes a difficult decision. She hadn't actually failed a sortie as such, but she was probably going to end up killing herself or other people if we didn't stop her at some point. Mm. That's just how it is. Very interesting. Feel bad we've uh, uh, concentrated on this one individual. Sorry, yeah. oh, no, 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 don't apologize. Because um, uh, unfortunately, we have to move on from for time a bit here, don't we? But I did just want to yeah, point I out. Must, do, I do want to say just I'm in love with your realism, if nothing else. <laughs> that you bring to the conversation where it's just like, no, you will die. This is how you will die if you <laughs> well, don't do this correctly. Well, Tori knows loads of people that die. I mean, yeah, she's But it's, it's, it, it's just the point of when I deal with people who are about DEI, they're, they're, you're absolutely right. They're just so stupid. It's, it's not even a comparable conversation. Yeah. But they don't know the subject matter at all. They just know 40% women, <sighs> which well, I'll have to let well, one thing, that Do you yeah. know um, a vice air marshal, Simon Edwards? Have you heard that name? Simon Edwards, yeah. yeah? He's, um, he was there, Commodore One Onion. Right, right. I only mention him just because on the, on the website, it's, I, there's, there's any number of things I could reference sure. or point to. On the actual website, there is a um, a quote from him, who is director of people in the that RAF. Was thing when I was here, right? I was, that's be, what I was going to ask. Must is, be a new thing. Is yeah. that a really old, venerable position, or has that uh, been made up in the yeah, last bloody four it's years? Made up. Okay, right. Director of people. That's so Orwellian. Anyway, okay. And it just there's the idea that diversity is a strength. It's just so this is. He's not a bad dude, Cyber. He's not a bad guy. Right. I'm sure so he's been told to do this. Of course, right? they've all been um, told to say it. Yeah. He says our differences make us stronger. Bollocks. Yeah, wrong. Uh, a lie. That's just not true. Uh, that's why the RAF is one of the most inclusive forces in the world. This was recognised when the RAF was named as a top 75 employer in the Social Mobility Foundation. Top 75? Do you know what number they got? I think it was 74. It was literally like one from bottom or something like that. I remember when he put that, that tweet out, I remember looking at it and going, oh yeah, you're literally one from bottom. You just scraped in. He's not. These people are not bad people. I, I've communicated with a lot of them. They all think they're doing the right thing. And it helps the fact that he's, he's not going to leave the service and get another job. He's in now. He's past his like, 20 point. He's in for the pension. So he's got to level up. And that's what does it, unfortunately. People are going to say the right thing so they get promoted because they're on that kind of gravy train. I don't think I'm disagreeing with you because I'm absolutely not. No, but, no, I'm not saying. The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Of course, 100%. But it still kills people. Yeah, right. It's still so, people right. still die. Right. 
And that's that's what we're going to find out in America or in the airline industry pretty soon when when they're, they're, they've got this whole thing. I think United Airlines now. Who's the? Is it United Airlines where the boss is a? a, a he's yeah, a, he's a he's a. What do they call them? Dresses and wigs and transvestite. Yeah, but we used to call them that. They call something else now, aren't they? Transgenders. No, you know where they um, you know they do their things in front of kids, don't they? They go and. Drag, 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 drag queen. I don't know what the name was anymore. We used to call him something different, didn't we? But no, he's a drag queen and he's the boss of United and he's bringing, he's got this thing where he's bringing 50% black pilots in because of course that's going to make a, a difference, isn't it? They're just pilots or pilots. But. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, we do have to move on. But just to reiterate out there, in a week or so, maybe two, there'll be a two hour conversation with me and Tim talking about this in much more detail. So if you found that segment interesting, there will be more to come on load seaters. But just finally, just to round it off, just say that the uh, the RF did spend millions on DEI, but found out quite quickly that it was just completely illegal, basically, and wrong and discriminatory. discriminatory. And the RF, uh, the RF essentially came out one way or another and said, well, well we'd do it again. We were unapologetic. Literally, I think there's, they would say, we, we'll do it again. Um, we did nothing wrong. Unashamed. There we go. The RF is unashamed at, at, at their recruitment processes, which have been shown to be just flatly unfair. Um, and and they're going forward sort of pretending there's nothing wrong. Um, and so there you go. There's that segment. Uh, but as the first one was quite long, we, uh, we're we going to have to draw it to a close there and um, move on to a third one. There we are. Um, my God, I wish we had more time, but we do have Lads Hour because I'm really <laughs> enjoying this, I'll be honest. We must have you back more. <laughs> right, well, let's, let's move on to the last thing, I suppose. So I thought we'd do something quick and cheerful. Maybe not cheerful, but we'll see. <laughs> The, the least foreign election the UK could possibly hold is being held in a Rochdale, which, um, now... Just that word makes my sort of skin crawl like a bit. Grooming Games one, was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's the by-election. One of many, many, many. Yeah, I heard that. Um, who knows anything about Rochdale? Who would care? The only thing anyone knows is the grooming gangs. It's the only thing that comes to mind. It's not even that big. Have you seen, like, an aerial photograph of Rochdale? There was a little constituency map there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's not that big. Just a town. Yeah. And here we are. That's the only thing people know about. But uh, oh, I see. they're having a by-election and the, uh, the candidate list, uh, because the MP died, the candidate list is quite long. And you may notice there are some interesting characters running up here. Mm-hmm. Mainly a Mr. George Galloway from the Workers' Party. And you may recall he ran in the last by-election, whenever it was, and ran on the can- campaign of death to labor, they don't believe in Palestine. And he ended up with like 20% of the vote. I tell you what I do recall. <laughs> I tell you what I do recall about George Galloway. I recall Please. him shaking hands and putting his arm around the leader of Hamas about three years ago. Yep. I do remember him shaking hands with Uday Hussein, mm. a, a serial rapist, mass murderer. I do remember him sitting down having a conversation with Saddam Hussein. Um, any any enemy of Britain is a friend of George Galloway's. So uh, I remember a few things like that about him. So I thought we'd check out what's been going on because there's been some funny... Even the Reform UK candidate was uh, sort of an ex-disgraced Labour MP. Did you know that? I didn't. He used to, he was he was the Labour MP Oh, yes. For, I recognise that name. For Rochdale. I recognise the name, yeah. And then he was sort of disgraced and thrown out of the party by Labour for sending a uh, letter, sending sex oh, yes, to a 17 I do remember this, yeah. And I think, I think, I might be wrong, I might be wrong, but I think ultimately he found out there was n- no law was broken. It was one that was like a Hugh Edwards thing. No actual law was broken. All right, fair enough then. But it, it, but it was weird, but, but it's sort of edging towards disgrace. But, I, but I shouldn't list... really say any of that. No, no, no. no, no right. any of that. As so I just recognise the name. But there you go. That is that is true. All right. But yeah, everyone on that list, nearly, there's like 
whoa. It's going to struggle on that one. Yeah, it's it? a funny bio. Well, it's a funny one. Got the monster raving loony party, and they're the third weirdest people there. So <laughs> there's that one. Anyway, before I begin, Shill, uh, Calvin Robinson. He's at Lotus Cedars. If you'd like to get access to his crusade, come and join. Five pounds. If you'd like to send him video comments to him, you use uh, code crusade to get gold tier 50% off for three months. Right, that's enough, isn't it? Let's move on, because let's have some funny. Um, now, this is my representation of how this election might as well look for the rest of the country, because uh, what do these people stand for? Can you read? Because I can't. Would it matter? No. <laughs> this just doesn't involve us, is the story out of all this. Because here's the Labour candidate who's expected to win in any normal circumstance. Now, this chap came out and was endorsed by Absal Khan, and they decided to campaign in um, the native, beautiful British town. As the parliamentary candidate here in Rochdale, uh, with the support of so many members, the battle now starts and we're going to go out there and knock on every single door and make sure we get support for Labour and send Rishi Sunak a clear message. Enough is enough after 14 years of neglect. You want me? Hang on a second. <laughs> I was about to say, he sounds like a pretty solid British man to me, the guy on the left, because he did. He sounded like a solid British guy. What's the idea then? So there's a massive audience in Urdu. You know this more than I do. I presume it's Urdu. It must be Urdu, surely. But they're campaigning in foreign, which... Um, a particular aspect of England compared to European nations and one that the Americans sort of have is we don't really like foreign as in the language. Uh, we're not keen on other languages. We're a very monolingual nation. No, I nearly lost my lunch there. So there's a particular disgust amongst the English for that whenever it happens. And this occasionally happens with um, Chinese candidates running in very Chinese areas right. or other such places. So it's not just a do, of course, but it's not something that is something that's keen for the English population. And whenever we see it, it's a bit strange, to say the least. So this guy coming out and actively campaigning in foreign tells you that he's able to get away with that. Yes. You know, it's a travesty. It's an abomination. It should not be the case. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. You set Bo off now, haven't you? It wasn't the <laughs> first. down a bit. Yeah, I know. No, yeah, I know. Sure. I knew you'd do that as well. No, but it's like, it should not be the case, should it? Yeah. That, that, that that's necessary. You may remember Nash Shah used to campaign a lot in foreign as well. And people were just like, really? Is that right? And then you look at the demographics and that's why. But anyway, it's not the only thing out of this. Okay. Because, of course, local politics in Rochdale consists of what I'm about to show you. So these Labour candidates turned up to hand out leaflets and were told, we don't support Zionists by, by this particular recorder. Hmm. And this doesn't seem to have been... Wait, so sorry, just let me get this straight. So the person inside the house is a Muslim and they view uh, Labour... Or whoever. And they view <laughs> Labour as Zionist. Yes. Okay. What's this got to do with British? Right. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> None of any of this. It doesn't matter. I mean, because you polled the, the English population and they don't give a toss about the Middle East anywhere. It's almost as though if you import loads of foreigners, they bring all their conflicts and problems with them. Yeah. Well, that's, it's almost as though that's a fail to integrate, isn't it? So the language thing was an interesting when I heard that straight away. It's like, well, it's a failure to integrate. You're not integrating. There's no no interest in integrating. No. Will no. not integrate. Well, of course you won't. That's why you have to speak the language that you came in with. To be fair, he's only campaigning in foreign and being told to sod off because he's a Zionist. Not, you know, just two events. 
But the thing is, here's the thing as well. We can we can make this might into a, a bigger more. thing than it might well be, of course. And I'm, I'm well aware of that. You know what I mean? This could be a very localized issue that's being magnified on social for clicks and everything. And here's us talking about it and giving it airtime. And I get that. I fear it's not him. I, I, I know. I, I, I was trying to be that guy. I'm trying to be that guy. Yeah, fair because, enough. Go ahead. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, as I say in Stelios. If I'm looking into that gray area, that nuance, and trying to understand it. Because we can all be black and white. It's very sensationalized, isn't it? To... Certainly. But it seems to have um, been a bit more than that. So this is, um, for some reason, they, I don't know who's writing in German to the Muslim community in Germany about that this. that post at the bottom. There we are. But this is the candidate, that Labour guy from earlier. Um, he's being harassed here by the recorder. And the recorder is just like, well, there's a genocide in Gaza. You have nothing oh. to say about that? Huh? And Sorry, this is in Rochdale? Yes. Okay, it's so, just on German media. Or German so you've got to have an opinion on this now. You've got to have an opinion on the genocide in Gaza. Or yeah, I just find it funny that by pure coincidence, this blew up in German social media. Uh, the less said, <laughs> the less I, I don't arrested. Get it. What I, are you hinting at? I honestly don't understand. Oh, the, there's quite at. a German population who are interested in Palestine now. Oh, okay, I see. What yeah, that. okay, all right. Wasn't ever before, but there is now. It's there the same right. as that we have. It's my sister goes and does this flag waving for Palestine at the moment. It's um, it's well, just the Mama Merkel's migrants. Just the Ummah, the Muslim yeah. diaspora. Is that what it is? So, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, not well, the, she brought a lot in, didn't she? I mean, she, she went over the top of that, didn't she? Um, this is a post I found, but the video is the important thing, where you can see that this candidate went to uh, meet people. He's gone to some local restaurant. And um, the reaction he get is is not positive. You know this guy's leader. Yeah, four lines, isn't it? Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Doctors and lawyers all. They are. It's interesting you say that. We did have a conversation earlier about the Pakistani community with the marriage between first cousins. And the issue that does for um, uh, IQ and uh, birth defects. Just public health. Yeah, public health in general. And the money, £2 billion pound a year, apparently, to look after. And apparently there's the wards of Birmingham Hospital that have to look after these poor children. And apparently the newer generation of, of Pakistanis are not, are not doing this. They're, they're saying, and that's to do with the multiculturalism within the UK. They're saying, actually, I don't want arranged marriages. I'm going to go and do anything. So, that, you know, every cloud, I guess. But you can't communicate with people like that. Right, yeah. Can't have a conversation with that. Animus possessed, I think Dr. Well, might call it. Um, so those, not listening to anyone else. Sorry. Those voters have one issue. Um, that issue is not this nation. It's a different nation. And that's the issue they vote on. Yeah. And if there's five of them, that might be a, something you could deal with, but it's not five. And it's certainly not, the, their issue certainly isn't the scourge of grooming gangs. No. I mean, they're, they're not interested on, in that one. They're voting on something that isn't anywhere near us or anything relevant to us. It's incredible when you think about it. It's just, it's not voting on anything that's going to affect their lives. Because if I lived in Rochdale, my big thing would be you never actually got anyone to be held account for the grooming scandal. You got a couple of the rapists. Does that affect them on everyday life though? I mean, surely it's going to be about jobs and it's going to be, about, you know what I mean? These things. But I mean an abstract issue. Yeah, no, valid, valid. That's, that's the thing you think of as the abstract issue of the area. It would be that, yes. We need to be held to account. Are, yeah, jobs, inflation. You know, is the high street closing down? Absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, no, none of those issues are number one. Instead, it's... But it could be Gaza. youth as well. I mean, young people are, you know, they're having, they're having a meal there and some politician has come up to the table and there's four lads out having a bit of menu. So this is where it comes to me to be interesting because, I mean, this is the local area. Um, there was a massive Palestine rally and someone scrawled on the war memorial there, free Palestine all over it. Of course they did. And you've got this English police officer looking at that. And um, I don't know if they have the images in here. I don't think they do. I think they've... But they not, I'm not saying ban this, they banned climbing on memorials now, haven't they? Yeah, defacing them. Did you see that recently? 
Was, yeah. yeah, defacement was always, yeah. Did that anyway, in front of the police. Um, the images from this particular event, it's, it's a lot of the local community that came out for this. So there's that. That's, that's what the place looks like. I'm surprised that church or cathedral, if it is in the background, hasn't burnt down yet. There's a guy on Twitter, I follow a father on Twitter, yeah, and his, his cathedral in London's getting, well, his church in London's getting all the windows broken. I think they caught the guy in the end, but it was continuous, like day after day. It will spontaneously burn down at some point, Tim. That's just what happens they to churches happen. now. That's Especially in France. They are very flammable. Yeah. So the reason I bring all this up is not just to be like, oh God. Um, the reason I bring it up is because, as I mentioned, there's a by-election. And in by-elections, funny people turn up. And one of those funny people is George Galloway, who in the last election that he ran in, he ran on the campaign of um, destroy Israel, vote for me, and got like 20-odd percent of the vote. And this time around, he's trying his luck again because, as you can see here, this is his campaign. And um, he wrapped himself <sighs> in his campaign banner and the uh, Palestinian flag there. And there's a large audience, and they're all waving Palestinian flags. And they're sort of out of shot. You can see one of that guy's shoulder there. And that's his audience. That's the one he's trying to reach. And the Labour Party are failing to reach that one in the slightest. So this may be another chance where he may end up actually splitting the vote enough to win. I'm not, I'm not saying it's zero percent. Could you be more morally bankrupt than George Galloway? Could you be more of a traitor? I mean, I despise the man and everything he's ever stood for. The man wants power and knows how to get it. And he's always with that hat for a start. Like, <laughs> a minor just, issue? <laughs> just get a clue, George. Like, ugh, ugh. Hate, well, hate him. The, the, the big, you're not going to stop him, I think. There's no reaching this community through our means. I think instead there's the Palestinian means. Well, that's what is reaching them. That's why he's doing it. You say that. Okay, no, fair, you say that. There has to be a way to reach the community other than going through the Palestine narrative. I, I would love to find one. I haven't yet. But getting to George Galloway, because his campaign is doing the same thing he did last time and um, polling higher, is uh, let's check out what he printed. So this is his uh, pamphlet. Now, just for advice, the Labour pamphlet mentioned Palestine zero times. As for George Galloway, he's got you know some stuff about the votes, and as you can see, genocide in Gaza there. But the most interesting part is this in bold down here. This election is a straight choice between George, who will fight for Palestine and the people of Rochdale. <laughs> They're the same people, all right. And Keir Starmer, who will fight for Israel. What a cynical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've almost got to be... Because so... I agree with you, I'm not a fan, but I'm in awe on the balls of the band. To be so cynical, he just doesn't care, does he? He's just he's doing. I think when you're when you're working with people that have got a very binary mindset, which is obviously he's campaigning for people that have a very binary mindset, he has to pretend he's got one as well. He probably has actually, didn't he? but of course that's what they're thinking. I mean, you only because I've got a sister who waves flags for Palestine, and when you try and communicate with her, it's not possible on a rational scale. My mum even said to me, "My sister's going to go mental." My mum even said, "Look, you can't be rational with her when she's talking about Palestine." My sister even said to me, my sister, she's a 50-year-old. It's emotion. I'm not even, yeah. It's, oh, it's emotion. It's no, it's no facts. She's, a, she's in the NHS. She's a you know, very senior in the NHS. Of course she is. But the thing is, you can say to her, she said to me, like, more people should care about the plight of the Palestinian people. I'm like, yeah, they should. Yeah, what? I mean, seriously, what? What am I going to do? Say going prayers to. for them at lunch? She, she was I... upset about that. I'm like, they're not going to. As many people as care about Palestine, care about the Israelis and their attacks on September, oh, sorry, October the 7th. It just is that way. But like us, we can go, yeah, I understand that. That's what life is. But with her, she can't. With her, it's all about the plight of the Palestinian peoples. It wasn't, by the way, before October the 6th. 
didn't know about Palestine, but now it is. She'd obviously forgotten about BLM. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. It's a new thing, isn't it? And I think these people are probably very similar to it. It's funny how society says you're allowed to get completely irrational the second you start talking about Israel and Palestine. You're just allowed to. If you're a child, you are. If you're a 15 year old at school and you haven't seen anything else, I get it, but she's not. She's 50. 5 0. You've hit exactly where I wish to go, which is that he's got one voting block, of course, which um, I don't even need to name. Come on. And then there's the second voting block, which is exactly what you're speaking to. Because Miss Swindon over here has changed her background to the Palestinian flag and has spent the last year just endlessly tweeting about how there's a genocide going on. Why should the people of Rochdale vote for a pro-genocide candidate? She's talking about Avsia Ali of the Labour Party here, as if he supports Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, but yeah, this is mad, but also a voting block, which you can court, which, well, George is. I mean, even there, you mentioned it, so there's the other side of the pamphlet. Defender of Palestine for 50 years. George has organized numerous aid convoys to Gaza over the years, blah, 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 blah. Now vote for me. Yasser Arafat, that is, by the way, they're a documented terrorist. Simple, Simple as that. So go, go, go there and visit Yasser Arafat. That picture of George Galloway, he called Christopher Hitchens a, a popping jay and a slug. I mean, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, yeah. George Galloway is the slug. How he wouldn't be able to even communicate with Hitchens. I mean, have you <laughs> tried listening to Hitchens? I mean, I've got Hitchens' yeah. books like this, you know, argument. Yeah, I'm a I mean, fan just, of Chris Hitchens. Absolutely, I am. But I mean, to read him, he hated being called Chris, actually. By the way. Did he? Yeah, yeah well, hey, sorry, Christopher. Sorry, sorry, Christopher. Is um, is the intellect is is not comparative? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. they had a, they had a really interesting debate, Did and they? it was like a classic blood sport where they both absolutely went for the jugular. They both, because give it to George Galloway, credit where it's due, actually. He is a masterful, he is masterful at debate and he is very, very clever and very, very quick. I would, wouldn't dream of denying that. I just hate his politics. But he is very, very good at what he does. I'm not denying that. I wouldn't for a moment. And him versus Chris Hitchens is a superb blood sport oh, I never debate. Saw yeah, it's worth watching. Great it's worth watching. But one of them's still alive and he's campaigning to do his thing. And um, he may end up winning this, which is why not only I wanted to pay attention to it, because it's a mad situation. Yeah but it may actually mean something as well, which is uh, just the absolute state of this. Imagine him back in Parliament. But anyway, um, I'll end that there. We have video comments and then some uh, super chats we'll probably do, and that's probably about it on the comments. So let's start. John Carter. So what do you do when a group of diverse individuals gather on the steps of the Sydney Opera House the day after October 7th and prior to Israel's response? and start chanting things which make the government look bad. It's concluded with overwhelming certainty that the phrase chanted by during that protest, as recorded on the audio and visual files, <laughs> to was say that. the Jews. You change history and make it all disappear. So I did have a listen to this video comment because um, the editor was also a bit puzzled by it. We had a listen to that chant, and it's sort of like the dress. You remember the blue and gold dress thing? Yeah. We could listen, and I, I definitely hear both ways. Could I could hear both, yeah. so I don't know, but yeah, either way, it's right. mad. And um, I, I wouldn't put it past these people to chant gas the Jews. That's yeah, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't tolerate that. But the, the thing about the police, as I was just a police officer, is how do you arrest that many people? Yeah. So they've they've got to be careful. What they normally do is is have cameras or you know ununiformed police officers out there identifying key suspects, and then two days after they go and kick the doors in and, and arrest them. How else would we police a crowd like that? I mean, you, literally, police officers will get beaten up if they go into crowds. It just is what it is. So it's difficult when it comes to policing. It's not the most obvious answer to wade in and arrest the whole lot. What do you do? There's no cells that can hold them. So, you know, it is that. There are planes that could take them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, exactly. We build enough trebuchets. Let's Anything could happen. Let's go to the next one. 
You call yourself orcs? Weaklings! Tear down that puny gate now! Resident voice actor. Got those filthy humans! Yes! What? That's just Jonathan Crow showing off not... his voice acting we... skills. Okay. Don't know Great. what to do with no, that. That's fine. Just there's no context with it. No. Just. I liked it. Just doing an orc. I liked it. Send them more. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking to hire a man to do orc voices? I liked it. I was <laughs> Let's go to the next one. I was struck by this statement from the character Katya in John le Carre's The Russia House. I do not like experts. Experts are addicts. They solve nothing. They are solvents of whatever system hires them. Interesting. I've never is read the, that. It is the anti-expert narrative that we've had of over COVID and things, wasn't it? I, yeah, I mean, I usually don't necessarily agree with that, or anti-intellectualism in general, I don't really agree with it. Well, I've no, not read that book. Uh, it's the stovepipe, isn't it? It's the it's saying experts, yeah, they know a lot about something, but not much about anything else. Maybe what it means is you can't take in anything else if you're an expert. You're just literally on this one thing. You can't take anything, any other. That may adjust your opinion. It's just, this is the way to do it. Well, there's that bell curve where, you know, or, or not a bell curve, but there's the idea that you can be so educated that you end up, uh, insane conclusions that are obviously wrong. Yeah, yeah. If you're too specialized or something, oh, that is that is true. That is possible. Sorry. Okay, let's go to the next one. Right. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I know you guys hate it, and yes, I hate it, but I am going to suggest an anime. It's called Den no Coil, oh, and it predicted it. this Apple headset shit about ten years ago. He pays for his privilege to torture us. <laughs> People love his anime stuff, don't they? Yeah. I haven't really watched most of it at all. Yeah. Can we up the price of gold tier to a million quid? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not interested. I'm just not interested. Next one. <laughs> hey, Lotus Eaters. I've been watching for a long time. My name is Dominic. Um, I don't have much of a question, just why I know Lindy Beige. I know you know Lindy Beige. Been here for a while. Uh, why no Lindy Beige? Beige man equals base man. Amen. So I guess that's I can answer that. Well, Lindy Beige is a, yeah. I'm a big fan of Lindy Beige. He's a, if anyone doesn't know, he's a history ba based YouTuber. I've tried to get a conversation with him a number of times over the years, and he's never responded to me. I know for a fact him and Cole know each other. They've done a stream or videos before, and it seemed a little lukewarm to me. They're not close. Right. I could ask Cole to try to get him on again. I suspect he'll say no. I don't think this is really Lindy Beige's thing. But I'll ask. I promise you, that chap who just sent us that, that I will try because I personally would love to have a conversation with Lindy Beige. I'm a fan, but I suspect it's going to be a no. But I'll try. It's fair. It's fair. So I'll very quickly end off because people sent us money for this. Um, individual super chats here. So for 20 buckaroos, uh, Clarkus says, finally subscribing to the website. All thanks to the uh, tiger on the left. Just a massive thank you to Tim and you guys at Lotus Eaters covering all the malpractice uh, in useless white male gate. There we are. <laughs> right on. And Sean for 10 buckaroos says, I have to push back a bit on Putin. I'm sure the Americans told King George armies to F off in perfect English. There we are. Pretty valid. I think that's, oh no, do I have any more? That is all. Oh no, there's more. Bug of Jesus. 
Freddy says for 20 bucks, off topic, but YouTube channels a random Saturday has TikTok videos of Brits refusing conscription. Zoomers, it's the skincare, mental health, and periods, but it's a wide breath of negative comments. I'll have to send you a video. There's one where a guy went in London. Try to find people, English people, to ask them about conscription. Every single person yeah. in the video yeah, is like, oh, I'm from Egypt. Oh, I'm from Canada. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Israel. Yeah. Right? That's just scares a little. But, but the great, <clears throat> great, great replacement is a conspiracy theory, though. Sean says, as a Canadian vet, sorry, uh, little sorry, one PPCLI, a true fight force holding a position in Serbia, where relieved by a service battalion of mostly women, and then promptly surrendered and taken hostage back in the 90s. Oh, right. I have to read about that. Okay. Bugger me. And then the last one for Freddie, where he says, on a random Saturday YouTube channel, none of the POC said that they would serve. Uh, not my country would leave and go to jail instead. Yeah, that's the one I referenced, I think. Yeah, they, they, they don't understand how conscription actually works, though. Yeah, it's like, would you sign up if you were conscripted? It's oh, like, no. you're not, you're not signing up just conscription. <laughs> you're conscripted. The end. You're in the army. You know what I mean? Well, we'll end this off on where people can find you, Tim. Oh, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, this is obviously me just fighting dragons every single day and, and people that don't, well, shouldn't be breathing, let alone... Well, they can't breathe. I don't know how they manage to. So I just play around on, on, on Twitter, to be fair. Well, I mean, they wake up in the morning, don't they? I mean, I remember someone saying sometimes I don't understand how these, these people don't cut their head off with a razor by accident because they, they can't. But the, so I play around on Twitter, but, but it's actually Fast Jet Performance is the YouTube channel and uh, my flight school is, is Shadowlands if people want to come and learn to fly virtual jets in the virtual world, get together a lot more to do with values and standards and uh, progressing as an individual and a community as opposed to just flying airplanes. But, All right. Thank you. Well, we're out of time. Long over. Bye.